Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this is a bookend brought to you by Quail Ridge Books, Raleigh, North Carolina's trusted community bookstore. My guest today is Dan Grunfeld. He is a former professional basketball player and a proud graduate of Stanford University. His writing has appeared in Sports Illustrated, The Jerusalem Post, and NBC News, along with several other publications. His new book is By the Grace of the Game, The Holocaust, A Basketball Legacy, and an Unprecedented American Dream, which is published by our friends at Triumph Books. Dan, welcome to the program. Hey, Jason. Thanks so much for having me. It's an honor to have you here, Dan. And first, uh, you work in venture capital and you live in the Bay Area. Uh, I lived in the Bay Area for 10 years or so, as our listeners know. Uh, I moved away about 10 years ago now as we sit here recording. Um, My question for you is, has the Bay Area recovered from COVID-19 or do you feel like you're still kind of in the thick of it? No, I think the Bay Area has been pretty conservative, played it safe in a lot of ways. And I think mm-hmm. that's still happening. Obviously, as the world opens up, the Bay has opened up, but uh, mm-hmm. a little bit slower than other places. Yeah, right on. And how has your work in venture capital uh, been affected by the coronavirus? Are folks even starting businesses right now? It's starting a lot of businesses, actually. You know, yeah. we, we found the firm I'm with has been around for 20 plus years and you find that, you know, in the financial crisis of 2008 and the dot-com bust of the early 2000s, when there are problems, technologies arrive to solve those problems. And so we've seen that today. You know, obviously, technology mm-hmm. has gotten us through working remotely and keeping us connected in different ways. And so, yeah, we see a, a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, trying to solve big problems using technology. Yeah, that's great. Well, um, sounds like you have been busy. Thank you so much. Um, well, let's jump into your Excellent new book here by the grace of the game and listeners. This book is so, so good. Uh, I love basketball, as you know, and I love history. So this is sort of the perfect book for me. Uh, One alarming statistic, Dan, uh, that you wrote to me about is that amongst 6 million people surveyed uh, who are labeled as millennial or belonging to Gen Z, Over half of these folks, over 3 million people of 6 million surveyed, were unaware of the significant number of Jews killed in the Holocaust. And not only that, but one in 10 had never even heard the term Holocaust before. Uh, What is happening here, Dan? And what does this say about the state of the educational system in the United States of America and the teaching of history? Yeah, I mean, these statistics are alarming. You know, to Mm -hmm. know how little, particularly younger Americans and young folks around the world know about the Holocaust. It's it's very scary, particularly for someone like myself, where both of my grandparents are Holocaust survivors. You know, my grandmother lost five siblings and both parents in the Holocaust. My grandfather lost his sisters and his parents. So he came back with no one. And so when and you you know this from my book, you know, and this is Mm -hmm. a big part of the, the history that I document. But to come from a family with that history and then to know how little it's being taught, you know, worldwide, how little information is being shared and, and the mm-hmm. statistics bear that out. And so for so many reasons, we need to tell these stories. We need to spread this history. That's why, you know, my book is a small part of that. So I'm very proud that my grandmother, who, by the way, will turn 97 in June. So nice. alive, well, doing, doing just incredibly, incredibly well, but she can hold my book in her hands 
and read that history, read about her family members who are no longer with us, right? So that's something that I'm really proud of. And, you know, we just need need more education. Yeah, absolutely. And um, to go down this road just a little bit further, uh, you know, there's a lot of, um, there are a lot of battles brewing in school boards around the United States right now about the teaching of uh, critical race theory and things of that nature. And um, about the Holocaust, I have read where one school board says, if you're going to teach the Holocaust, you also have to teach the other side. What other side could they possibly be talking about? Yeah, there is no other side. And, you know, I was that that comment made big news and I followed it. Anytime I read about things about the Holocaust, of course, it strikes a chord with me because of my family history. So I followed that story. You know, there's no other side, you know, and and you've also probably read recently about the book Mouse, you know, which which documents the horrors of the Holocaust and kind of graphic novel form, you know, being banned by a Tennessee school board uh, Mm -hmm. because, you know, of, of re- like it's graphic history and it's troubling history, but, you know, we can't sanitize what, what happens in the world. And, and that's the history of the Holocaust and it needs to be taught accurately. And, you know, so that way history doesn't repeat itself. Right. So the only way for us to ensure God willing that it never happens again to not only to Jewish people, to any people is to teach it. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Dan. And I was um, going to ask you about this later, but I will uh, ask you about this now since you brought up Mouse. Um, what do you think about the banning of this book from the school district in Tennessee? Of course, they didn't say that they were banning it because um, of the Holocaust. They said that they were banning it because of nudity uh, in the book. Um, and as you are aware, I'm sure, um, and those who have read the book are aware, the characters are mice. They're cartoon mice. And, and mice don't wear clothes in the real world. Uh, what do you think the real issue is here? Yeah, I mean, I was, I was so upset and, and troubled to see that the school board in Tennessee made that decision to ban mouse, precisely mm-hmm. for the, the data that you shared with our listeners, right? That mm-hmm. so many young folks are unaware of the, the nature of the Holocaust, even what it was. And Mouse has always been used by schools as a very accessible way to teach the Holocaust, right? Because even there are cartoons, it's a little bit of a different format, but young people have really taken to it, right? And so, uh, yeah, to to see that decision made is just, it's troubling. The the reasons for it, I think, yeah, it's, listen, it's a hard history. And okay, there is a little nudity in in the book. There are, you know, there's violence in the book, but of course there is, right? This is the Holocaust. And I know as it relates to my book, you know, which, you know, as, done well and has traveled around and I've had so many people reach out to me and several folks have made a comment to me that, you know, some of that, particularly that history of the Holocaust was, was hard to read, you know, and, and as when I hear people say that my response is, yeah, it should be, you know, because yeah. that's, that's what happened. And that's the history that the world needs to know. So when decisions are made like in Tennessee to not expose young people to an accessible medium through which they can learn about the Holocaust, it's so upsetting. Yeah, I agree. Um, And as uh, someone who works in and runs a bookstore, I can tell you there is no uh, better way to make sure that people are reading a book than to try to ban it. Mouse has been on our bestseller list ever since um, that controversy hit the news. Um, Well, thank you, Dan. Um, Moving on and back into your book, uh, your father, Ernie Grunfeld, is the only player in the history of the NBA whose parents survived the Holocaust, as you mentioned earlier. Um, I'm going to dive deeper into this, Dan, but for now, can you talk to us about how your grandmother specifically survived the Holocaust? 
Yeah. So my grandmother is from Transylvania. So mm -hmm. on the border of Romania and Hungary. And when the Nazis invaded her hometown, she happened to be visiting an older sister in Budapest. And so they got a letter from my great grandfather as soon as the Nazis invaded that said, come home immediately. And so they packed their suitcases. They were ready to go to the train station. The following day, they received another letter from my great grandfather. All it said is, if you can stay where you are. And to this day, my grandma says it was that letter that saved her from Auschwitz. You know, mm -hmm. the rest of the family was taken to Auschwitz. Um, I had one great aunt who came home, but you know, the rest of the family was never heard from again. And so that was the last time my grandmother talked to her beloved father, who, by the way, my son is named after my great grandfather's name was Solomon. My son is named Solomon after my great grandfather. So my, my grandmother had a chance to survive on the run. She was saved twice in Budapest by Swedish diplomat Raul Wallenberg, who's regarded mm -hmm. as one of the greatest heroes of the Holocaust. And, you know, my grandma was eventually, you know, caught by the Nazis, put in the Budapest ghetto, um, narrowly evaded a massacre there. But again, thanks to Wallenberg, she was able to survive. And so, yeah, really trying history. Uh, she she not only saved herself, she also saved other people. So I always say my grandmother is my hero, but she's also a hero, which is the truth. And so, yeah, she she has a big Holocaust survival story. And you know, it's really, really remarkable person. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Dan. Uh, listeners, we are going to take a short break here for a word from our sponsor. And then I will be right back with Dan Grunfeld. The Book and Podcast is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore, Quail Ridge Books. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. Listeners of Bookin can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter Bookin, B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I'm back with Dan Grunfeld, author of By the Grace of the Game, The Holocaust, A Basketball Legacy, and An Unprecedented American Dream which is published by our friends at Triumph Books. Um, Dan, uh, really quickly outside of the scope of your book, because your book does deal with basketball, um, for our listeners' context, this episode may be published a little later, but we're recording here uh, on March 28th, 2022, um, as we're heading towards the final four of the NCAA basketball tournament, which in this region of the country, Dan, uh, it's about <laughs> to get real um, as Duke and UNC are going to meet and UNC has a first year coach and coach K for Duke is retiring and the two schools have never met this deep into the tournament, uh, et cetera. Do you have any predictions um, for how the NCAA tournament is going to play out? Oh, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Listen, I've watched North Carolina for the last few months, and they're playing really great basketball. So uh, I'm going with the Tar Heels uh, to, yeah. to beat Duke and then to win it. Although, listen, it's anyone's, it's anyone's game. And for, because I, I, you know, I was a ball player myself, I love the history of the game. To see Coach K's last hurrah, first-year mm -hmm. coach and Hubert Davis at UNC 
for them to meet in the final four for the first time ever, like, you know, sometimes truth, you know, truth does it better than fiction ever could, you know, and this is one of the, those examples. So I know that, you know, there are so many storylines and I'm, I'm really excited to watch it as I'm sure everyone in North Carolina is. Absolutely. And um, one more question along these lines for me, selfishly, because um, I'm in the minority of this area in that I uh, follow professional basketball way more closely than college basketball. Um, who do you think is going to meet in the NBA finals this year? Listen, the Boston Celtics are playing <laughs> incredible basketball, right? They've kind of risen uh, to nearly, I think they're first now in the East. And so I'm going to go with the Boston Celtics coming out of the East and the Phoenix Suns coming out of, out of the West. So a rematch of the 1976 NBA finals. I believe that was the, the, the Celtics versus the Suns. I think we're going to have that again. All right. That sounds good to me. I would uh, be tuned into that. I kind of want to see the Grizzlies, but I think John Morant is not quite over the hump yet. Um, but we'll see. There's a lot of good young teams. And in the East specifically, all of the teams are so close together. It seems like anything could happen. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Dan. Um, back into your book, By the Grace of the Game. Uh, I noticed that you take pains to mention that your father, Ernie, is the only player whose parents survived the Holocaust. Are there other players in NBA history, perhaps, whose parents or maybe grandparents did not survive? Yeah, it, it's a great question. So I did a year and a half of research for my book. You know, hundreds mm -hmm. of hours of interviews with both my dad and my grandmother, secondary mm -hmm. sources all over the world. And so the research suggests that my dad is the only player in the history of the four major American sports leagues. So not only the NBA, but also Major League Baseball, the NHL, the NFL, whose parents yeah. were Holocaust survivors. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's another second generation mm -hmm. athlete whose parents were affected in the Holocaust, either surviving or not. Um, mm -hmm. And But for a 3G like myself, uh, that, that's an interesting question. I would have to dig a little deeper on that. Uh, if there's a 3G who either has grandparents who are survivors or who passed, but certainly my dad is the only one that whose parents were affected in that way. Yeah, absolutely. And um, thanks for that clarification about the four major sports. For some reason, I'm surprised that there are no uh, hockey players um, that have that background, but the other sports not surprising so much just because of all of the European players that come over um, in the NHL. But um, Dan, a former basketball player who I am continuously uh, more and more impressed by is Ray Allen. Uh, Ray wrote the introduction to your book. Can you tell us how you got Ray Allen to write the intro to your book, how you know him, um, and in other words, uh, or how you know him in other words, and then tell us about the work Ray has done to educate people about the Holocaust? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, Ray Allen was recently named one of the top 75 players in NBA history, mm -hmm. right? So he is a true legend of the game of basketball. I'm mm -hmm. lucky to know Ray because my dad was the general manager of the Milwaukee Bucks when Ray Allen was a young player and he was a young shooting guard for the team. I was kind of an up and coming player in high school myself. I also played shooting guard. So Ray was always good to me, you know, give me some advice, give me a pair of shoes, just, you know, a really, really awesome person. I had his Jersey framed on my wall in high school, you know, I mean, who didn't look up to Ray Allen at that time, if you were living in Milwaukee. And so, uh, what was interesting is Ray spent so much time with my dad. He had been to our house he didn't know that my dad was the only player in NBA history whose parents survived the Holocaust. And similarly, mm -hmm. you know, he didn't even know my dad's that our family was affected by the Holocaust, but similarly, mm -hmm. we didn't know that Holocaust education 
uh, and remembrance was a passion of Ray since he was in college. You know, he saw mm-hmm. Schindler's list and he was moved. You know, he said, this is not just a Jewish tragedy. This is a human tragedy. And so he really committed himself to making sure that people were educated about what happened. So every time he visited Washington, D.C., when his teams played there, he would take mm-hmm. his teammates to the Holocaust Museum. And I got to talk to some of those teammates and, you know, they said they walked out of the museum a different person than they walked into the museum because that's what happens when you visit that place. And so Ray took it upon himself to to educate his teammates. He has taken trips to Auschwitz and brought Mm -hmm. people there to learn. Right. So he, he is a true advocate. And when we connected and I told Ray about the book, I told him about my dad's history and our family's history. He was surprised. He was moved. And he didn't hesitate to lend his support. And as you know, because you read the book, he mm. wrote an incredibly moving forward. I mean, it's powerful. Yeah. It's poignant. And so, you know, I, I always say to people that as much as I looked up to Ray Allen when I had his jersey hanging in my bedroom in high school, I look mm. up to him even more now, you know, for the type of person he is, because he has so much influence in the world and he could align himself with any cause and he can use his time in any way he he chooses to. But he uses it to to shine a light on the Holocaust to educate people, to change lives. And so him participating in, in my book is a part of that. So he's, he's incredible. Yeah, he sure is. And um, as I mentioned, I am more and more impressed with him as time moves on, even though his team, when he was on the Bucks, broke my heart. My family had uh, season tickets to the Charlotte Hornets ever since they were um, an expansion team and their um, arguably greatest team of all time uh, lost in the second round of the playoffs to the Bucks when Ray Allen and yeah. Sam Cassell were on the team. Uh, probably That's the right. best chance. <laughs> um, and, you know, they haven't been that good ever since then. What do you do? Um, <laughs> well, thank you so much. Uh, I want to talk about your grandmother again. I'm fascinated by your grandmother and um, at the risk of making all of our listeners incredible hungry. Uh, can you tell us about the food that your grandmother would cook and why cooking this food uh, was such an important thing for her to do? Without a doubt. You know, from the book, I write a lot about my grandmother's Hungarian mm-hmm. cooking. Mm-hmm. She's extraordinarily skilled in the kitchen. She's, the, you know, a lot of people say their grandmothers are the best cook in the world. You can put me in that camp with my grandma, mm-hmm. but it's more than that. You know, food in my family is a vessel of love, of history, of even legacy. And, you know, when I say to my grandmother, and you know, I call her Anyu, which means mother in mm-hmm. Hungarian. You know, that's what we call her. I'll say, Anyu, you know, you're, you're the best cook. And she'll mm-hmm. say, well, that's because you never had my mother's cooking. You know, and her mom mm-hmm. was killed in Auschwitz. But mm-hmm. before, you know, the war, my great-grandmother would make these incredible meals for the big, happy Orthodox Jewish family in Transylvania. You know, my grandmother was one of 10 siblings. And so she just always talks about this food that was prepared and they would congregate as a family and talk and laugh and eat together. And everything was taken away because of the Holocaust. You know, my great grandparents mm-hmm. were killed. Five of my grandmother's siblings were killed. And so now, you know, my grandmother just delights in cooking these meals for me my family not only to feed us, to, to give us this wonderful food, which we know that she knows that we love so much, but it's also a vessel of this history, you know, and sometimes she'll make comments about the chopped liver she makes, or, you know, all these, these cuisines that she makes that are, you know, decades old and that her mother taught her how to make. And, you know, so it's not only the most delicious food in the world, it's also just so special. And as you know, it's a, it's a theme throughout my book and it's, it's a theme throughout my life. Yeah, that sounds great. I would love to try some of that food. Thank you so much, Dan. Um, Back to basketball. Growing up, uh, as you write in your book, 
you were fascinated by Michael Jordan and Larry Bird. Uh, why these two players beyond their stats on the court? What was it about these players stories that fascinated you? Yeah. And listen, to understand the answer to that question, it's important to really know my dad's history, right? Because you mentioned my dad being the only player in NBA history, his parents probably the Holocaust. He was a longtime NBA executive, but my dad was born under communism in Romania. You know, mm -hmm. he came to the United States when he was nine years old. He had never touched a basketball. He didn't speak mm -hmm. a word of English. And then a few months after arriving in the United States, his older brother, who, by the way, what my dad called my uncle in Hungarian, their native language, translates to English as my king. You know, imagine that, right? A little brother calling his big brother my king. My uncle was diagnosed with leukemia and he passed away within a year, you know, and so this is probably the biggest tragedy in, in my family's history. Here are my grandparents who survived the Holocaust, flee communism under duress, you know, come to the United States as refugees, have a chance at a better life, and then lose a son, right? So crushing mm -hmm. for my dad to lose his older brother. So, you know, my dad did what all kids, as he says it in New York City, were doing at the time. He went to the local playground. And what you did there is you played basketball, right? Mm -hmm. And so for him, it was just a chance to make friends, learn English, and to heal from that loss. And yeah, he, he started playing the game and roughly 10 years later, he was standing on top of the podium as an Olympic gold medalist for the United States mm -hmm. of America. Right. So it, and then long, you know, legendary high school basketball or college basketball career, very solid nine year NBA career, 30 years as an executive. Right. So it's this really yeah. storybook career in basketball, but he's the ultimate underdog. You know, it's really mm -hmm. a Cinderella story. And that's how I grew up. I, I grew up knowing about this history and so to see people like Larry Bird and Michael Jordan, who were heroes of the game of basketball, two of the greatest players in NBA history, certainly when I was growing up, like, you know, Michael Jordan being just the, the, the best of the best, and Larry Bird as well, one of the best in the league. But mm. they kind of both had humble beginnings. You know, and I write about it in the book, right? Michael Jordan was famously cut from his high school basketball team as a sophomore in high school. Right? So mm. if someone could get cut from a team, and then become the greatest player in the history of the game, there is hope for everyone. And, you know, for me and my mm. family story, it was all about hope. It was all about inspiration, overcoming odds, perseverance. And so Michael Jordan represented that for me, and so did Larry Bird. You know, I tell stories about Bird, about how he was picking up garbage in his hometown of French Lake, Indiana, you know, before going to college. You know, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, didn't fit this, the, the mold of, you know, the what people thought a basketball player, how they should move, what, who they should be. And so... You know, for those reasons, those two players, not only did I just love and admire their games, but their stories resonated with me so deeply because that's the story that I grew up with seeing what my dad had overcome. Yeah, absolutely. And you, of course, wouldn't have known this at the time, but also two players, Michael Jordan and Larry Bird, who went on to become executives to varying degrees of success, of course. Um, That's right. Yeah, but went on to become uh, key players in front offices. Well, thank you, Dan. I'm, and speaking of fascinating biographies of former players, your sister was into Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Um, <laughs> I love his books, uh, his book, Giant Steps. Have you read that one? I haven't read Giant Steps, but I'm, I admire Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for his writing. Of course, he's an amazing basketball player, but he's such a thoughtful person. And so, yeah, I'm I'm a huge fan. Yeah, um, I read Giant Steps. I, I'm not even sure that it's still in print, but I do recommend that folks check it out. It's a fascinating book that um, that still resonates today. And I'm partial to him because he shares a birthday with my son. And I my son's nickname nice. when he was a newborn was Skyhook. So, um, <laughs> I love it. Yeah, there we go. 
Well, thank you so much. Um, Switching gears again, Dan, when I was a young teenager, uh, I was touring Europe um, with a school jazz band playing drums, and I visited uh, Dachau, and it has stuck with me ever since, um, of course. Have you visited Auschwitz or Dachau or any other former um, concentration camp areas? So I have not visited a concentration camp. As you know, mm-hmm. the majority of my family was killed in Auschwitz. Yeah, uh, I haven't been there. I have been to sites in Germany, and as you know from my book, you know my first profession, my first season as a professional basketball career player was mm-hmm. in Germany, and we yeah. visited the sites of the Nuremberg rallies. We visited the Holocaust Memorial in Berlin. Those are different, mm-hmm. you know. They're they're not death camps, but uh, did have an opportunity to see some of those sites, but haven't gone to any of the camps yet. I will make that trip. It'll be a big emotional one, and you know from the book how deeply this history affects me. But yeah. to this date, I haven't. And I'll tell you what the, the biggest trip for me to take is, is to Budapest, you know, because yeah. that's where my grandmother survived the Holocaust. You know, being a prisoner in the Budapest ghetto, having her mm-hmm. life saved there by Roald Wallenberg, saving lives there, lives there, you know, uh, Adolf Eichmann, one of the most notorious Nazis, you know, his presence in the city and how my grandmother, you know, evaded that and, and all these, these things. So, uh, yeah, Budapest will be a big trip and I will visit the, the camps one day. I just haven't yet. Yeah. And I can't imagine Dan, I mean, for me, it was an emotional trip without the history that you have, um, with, with my family and such. And, um, I just can't imagine. I did grow up in a school system that taught the Holocaust and, um, and I grew up in a terrible, like legendarily terrible school system. Um, so I just can't even imagine, uh, kids not learning about this today. Well, thank you so much, Dan. Um, finally, and Dan, there is so much for our listeners to discover in this wonderful book. I'm so glad you reached out to me about it. Um, I know it will be of great interest to our listeners and our customers at Quail Ridge Books. But finally, Dan, uh, as I mentioned, I grew up with my family having season tickets for the Charlotte Hornets from uh, 1988 forward. I saw Steph Curry when he was a kid uh, shooting with the team on the courts before games uh, as his father, Dell played for the Hornets. Uh, you grew up in a similar way, doing a similar thing. What was it like for you as a child growing up the son of a professional basketball player? I know that you cover this for much of your book and you uh, like Steph Curry, grew up to be a professional basketball player, but can you whet our listeners' appetites a little by letting us know just what it was like growing up in that environment? Absolutely. So I grew up to be a professional basketball player like Steph Curry, but I wasn't, I'm not exactly like him, right? Uh, nah, well, you know, you know, I wasn't going to say that. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, listen, be, even having your name mentioned in the same paragraph as him is a compliment, but Jeff, there is a yeah. distinction there to be made. Uh, but I did have a nice career, but certainly no career like like the great Steph Curry. But but our mm-hmm. upbringings were very similar. You know, being mm-hmm. born into the game of basketball, and you know, from my book, I was literally born around the NBA schedule. You know, my yeah. dad was playing for the New York Knicks uh, at the time of my birth. And so my parents scheduled my C-section delivery in between two long mm-hmm. road trips. So he went on a road trip. He was there for my birth. He went on another road trip and he was there for my bris, right, which happens at the eighth day of life in the Jewish religion. So. Uh, for so many reasons, you know, I was born around basketball and Judaism. But listen, there were a lot of perks growing up the way I did. Like you mentioned about Steph, you know, I did the same things on at Madison Square Garden, you know, shooting with the Knicks and rebounding for Michael Jordan, the Chicago Bulls, and going to playoff games, going to all-star games. 
really, really cool way to grow up. So many amazing memories with my dad, with my, my sister and my mom, you know, us as a family kind of experiencing the highs and lows of, of that lifestyle together. Uh, it was, mm. they're just really, really special. I also, as kind of an up and coming player and someone who wanted to make something of myself on the court, I got to learn a lot, you know, learn mm. from pros and talk to my dad about the game and see how the, you know, these professionals went about their business, how they worked. And so that helped me, you know, as I got older, I, I really kind of took, took some of those things and applied them to, to my career as a player. So definitely a ton of perks, such a fun way to grow up. But, and you know this, Jason, from my books, I'm very honest, and kind of open mm -hmm. about this. There's a cost to it as well. You know, there's yeah. a lot of eyeballs. There's a lot of pressure and criticism. I think it brings families close together and can make you kind of insular, you know, because when you're mm -hmm. in the public eye and of course, sports, is, sports fans are very passionate, you know, you, you feel a lot of that. And for me, particularly developing as a player, I never felt that people looked at me and thought I had earned what I got. You know, unless you can mm. understand, right? My dad was the GM of the Knicks. I had resources and opportunities and I was born into a lot of privilege. You know, for me as a mm. player, you know that between the lines, you have to earn your keep, right? Mm. But uh, I tell a story in my book about going to a, a basketball camp when I was probably sixth, seventh grade. And you know, I was uh, developing, my game was coming along and I got the MVP award of my age group and I won a couple other trophies. And when they announced me to get my awards, the parents started booing me, right? Because it was a mm. it was a New York Knicks basketball camp, and my dad was a GM of the team, right? So yeah. the other mm. parents would say, "Oh, of course, the GM son wins the award, right?" And so, mm. just kind of situations like that, it, it you know, it hurt, it hurt me, but it also motivated me, it gave me a chip on my shoulder. And so, uh, listen, there again, there's these beautiful parts of it. There are some more challenging parts of it, but I wouldn't change how I grew up at all because I share these wonderful, special moments with my family. I fell in love with the game and got to share that love with my dad and others. So it was a, a really cool way to grow up. And I saw a lot of very good basketball, you know, being growing up in NBA locker rooms and arena. So that was really cool. Yeah, absolutely, Dan. And, um, you know, I have to mention there are a lot of basketball players out there, both presently and former players, um, and they have had a lot of kids uh, and not all of them grow up to be uh college or professional basketball players. So, um, you know, you still have to work very hard for it, as you know. No doubt. Um, yeah. So I do want to ask you actually one last question, Dan, because we are a bookstore, uh, a podcast of a bookstore being recorded in a bookstore. Once our listeners um, purchase and read your book and they want to uh, look for further information, both on basketball and on the Holocaust. Are there any books that you would recommend they check out after yours? You know, if you want a book about basketball and the Holocaust, mine is mm -hmm. really the one just because it is the only story that directly links those two things. But there yes. are certainly many great books about the Holocaust that I would mm -hmm. recommend. Yeah. Uh, you know, Man's Search for Meaning, it is an incredible book. Of course, Night by Elie Wiesel, like this is not breaking news. These are really well-known books, but they're books that have yeah. been very impactful uh, to me. And then there are great basketball books that also deal with important themes or different sports books, period, mm -hmm. right? Sure. One, one book that's not a basketball book, but The Boys in the Boat, you mm -hmm. know, which I'm sure you carry, which your listeners and our listeners, your readers, I'm sure love because it's an incredible book. You know, it, it mm -hmm. touches on this important history because this 
rowing team was competing in the 1936 Olympics in Berlin when, when these things were happening, but there's also this kind of com competition angle. So uh, I think mm -hmm. there are a lot of stories to explore that weave some of these things together, but because of my family's kind of interesting, unique background, this is really the only one that ties basketball and the Holocaust so closely together. Yeah, absolutely. The only book I've come across that ties those two topics together for sure. Well, thank you, Dan. And thank you for writing this wonderful and illuminating book. Listeners, I've been speaking with Dan Grunfeld, author of By the Grace of the Game, which is published by our friends at Triumph Books. Dan, thank you so much for joining me. Jason, thanks so much. It was a pleasure. Once again, I would like to thank Dan Grunfeld for joining me. Copies of By the Grace of the Game can be ordered from www.quillridgebooks.com free shipping for members of Readers Club Plus. I would also like to thank our sponsor, Libro FM Audiobooks. Please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space to get one free audiobook support your favorite local independent bookstore in the process. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this has been Bookend.